So this morning I want to talk to you about church. There are so many ways to approach the subject of church that I feel compelled to narrow our focus, our discussion somewhat. So when I say that I want to talk about church this morning, I want to focus on your experiences of church past and present. I want to focus on your experiences of church past and present and in order to get us into the same context, I want you to think this morning about your experiences of church. Now in the course of your exposure to the church and to church people, if you're like most of us, I'm sure that you have experienced good church, and I'm sure that you have experienced bad church. Think of the best church experience you've ever had. Was it moving? Did the church in that instance live up to what your idea of church should be? Did you feel loved? Did you feel welcome? Did you feel safe? Now think now of the very worst church experience you can remember. We've all had them. Did you feel any of those things that you felt in your best church experience? Probably not. See, Jesus experienced good church and Jesus experienced bad church. Matthew tells us of Jesus' experience with church at its worst. This is in Matthew 21. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. See, Jesus was angry. The practice of the day was to sell animals for sacrifice in the outer courtyards of the temple. Sacrificing animals in the temple was the way that you atoned for your sins. The outer courtyard was the only place in the temple where Gentiles could come and pray. Yet every day, the vendors and the money changers would occupy that sacred space to do business. And money changing was a dubious practice 
in which the exchange rates for the coins that were required to give in the temple, that exchange rate was always unfair to the people. And so Jesus, seeing this going on in his house, exercised righteous anger and drove the money changers and vendors out because they were making church a den of robbers. So my question to you at this point is how do we make our places of worship dens of robbers, dens of thieves. Now, as you think about that, I want to remind you once again about what Isaiah said about it. Cindy read it. This is a little bit different version from the NRSV version of the Bible. Isaiah 1, 10 through 15. Isaiah says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Doesn't start well, does it? Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Still not very positive, is it? What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Who asked you to do this is what God is saying. Trample my courts no more. Bring, bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Those are strong words. God hates bad church. Dry, empty ceremony. Ritual without heart. Worship without Reverence, prayer and offerings without thanksgiving, assembly without worship, assembly without fellowship, relationship without love. These things make robbers' dens out of our churches because they steal glory and honor from God and they make mockery out of worship. Have you ever been to this church? Have you ever been to a church with empty ritual? Fellowship without love. More to the point, have you ever been this church? 
Has that ever been you? Because when it comes right down to it, if we've experienced good church and we've experienced bad church, the only common denominator is, well, us. We are the church. Therefore, good or bad church is what we make it. And Jesus says He wants His house to be a house of prayer. So what then is the remedy to bad church? How do we make our place of worship a house of prayer acceptable to God? Psalm 50 verse 23 says, Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice... Honor me. To those who go the right way, I will show the salvation of God. Thanksgiving as our sacrifice. Going the right way, God shows salvation. So, what's the right way? Isaiah continues in verse verse 16. He says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. He's talking about the heart there. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And he's willing to discuss this. If you have questions, if you have issues, bring them to God in prayer because he says, come now, let us argue it out. He's a big God. He can take whatever we can dish out. If we have issues, we can bring them to our Lord. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, doing good church is about being good church. It's not about the music. It's not about the music I like or the liturgy. It's not about the preaching. It's not about traditional versus contemporary. It's about a people having a heart for the same things that God has a heart for. It's about taking care of the poor and the oppressed. It's about giving Christmas presents to kids that wouldn't have them save only the efforts of this body of Christ. 
It's about taking care of the sick and the orphan and the widow. It's about loving those around us even though they don't have the capacity to love us back. And it's about prayer for all of the above. It's about making our house, God's house, a house of prayer. If we are to turn this congregation into a house of prayer, faith is important. How do we turn our church into a house of prayer without faith? How could we ever pray to a God we don't trust? Faith in God, trust in Him, gives us the foundation on which to build this house of prayer. So we need to know just what exactly is faith. And our epistle lesson for today talks about that very thing. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. The writer of Hebrews talks about the meaning of faith. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. See, this fundamental fact of existence is that this trust that we have in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors. It's what set them above the crowd. And by faith, we see the world called into existence by God's Word. What we see created by what we can't see. Hebrews continues in verse 8, talks about the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as in a foreign land living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See, it was an act of faith. Abraham said, yes, to God's call 
to travel to some place he had never been that God had told him would become his home. And when he set out, he had no idea where it was God was taking him. And then when they crossed the Jordan and they were in the promised land, it was an act of faith that kept them there, living as sojourners, as strangers, camping in tents. That same promise, that same faith kept them there. When it was so tempting to go back, as bad as it was in Egypt, at least they knew. But he kept, Abraham kept his eye on an unseen city that had very real eternal foundations. A city that was designed and built by God. Now Hebrews continues in verse 11, By faith. Abraham received power of procreation even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. See, By faith, Sarah, who was barren and was far beyond the age of childbearing, became pregnant. And because she believed that the one who made the promise could do what he said he would do. And the result is, a nation of people numbering into the millions. Hebrews 11 verse 13. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they left behind, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, He has prepared a city for them. You see, each one of our ancestors were people of faith and they died not yet having in hand what was promised. Abraham didn't get to see the results, the millions of people that came from his union with Sarah. But he believed it. 
and people who live as transients in this world, people of faith like us. In our worship, in our obedience, in our hope, we make it plain to the world around us that we are looking for our true home. We could go back anytime we want. We have the free will to go back to our old life before Jesus, before we knew the love of Christ, before we knew the promise of God. We can go back. But we're after something more. We're after a far better country. We're after a heaven country. And that is why God is so proud of each and every one of you. Because you are keeping the faith. And He has a city waiting for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I can trust a God like that. I can have faith in a God like that. I can pray to a God like that. And so I am willing to make this church, this house, a house of prayer. And it starts with each of us individually. Because you are the temple. You are the temple in which the Holy Spirit resides if you accept Jesus as Lord. And like Jesus, you can throw the iniquity out of your temple. Let the righteous anger and indignation rise up in you and drive the evil out of your temple. Make your temple, your body, your personal house a house of prayer. And then we can come together because we are all vital members of this church which is part of the church universal, the body of Christ. And together we can turn the tide of injustice and poverty and oppression and spiritual depravity and all of the injustices in the world. We can turn the tide through prayer to the one who makes all things new. And that is good church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let the church say, Amen.